All right, and we get to jump into this series called Supernatural, and today is Supernatural Protection. So where we've been, we've been in Supernatural Deliverance, then Supernatural Healing, and today is Supernatural Protection. Maybe you've already noticed that when you uh, talk about a time when maybe God intervened and you experienced Supernatural Protection, it's subject to interpretation so frequently. Somebody might disagree with you in terms of your interpretation, but with, with all that set aside, I'm just kind of curious, how many of you have ever experienced supernatural protection? Okay, many, many of us, our interpretation of an event is God intervened and protected us. I have one of those stories. Sure, it's subject to interpretation, but uh, back in 1982, when the dinosaurs were walking across... <laughs> no. Back in 1982, I had just graduated from college and uh, it was just a, a few weeks after I had asked Gina if she would be my wife. We were engaged. Um, I went off into my first ministry experience in a summer youth ministry. Towards the very end of that youth ministry experience, uh, I was rushed, well, let me put it in the right order. I was very ill. I was staying at the pastor's house throughout the summer um, for this first ministry experience, and it was awkward telling him how bad I was. Eventually, I told him how bad I was. It was right after a backpacking trip where I led a youth group on a backpacking trip, and so I had my suspicions what was going on. They took me to the doctor, and I told the doctor I did fill up my water bottle from a spring, a natural spring, and he thought perhaps it was Giardia, which I knew about. Here's a picture that explains Giardia. Uh, it's simply a parasite that you have to be careful of. Don't I look good? Um, <laughs> that's not me, it's just a... Uh, so the, they treated me as if I had been contaminated by Giardia and I was in given pills. But if my memory serves me correctly, it wasn't very long at all before the symptoms were so, so bad that um, I was almost incoherent trying to express to my hosts how bad it was, and they rushed me to the doctor in the evening, and the doctor started tapping on my abdomen and says, this is not Giardia. You already have peritonitis setting into your body. We need to do something and do something fast. And so with some phone calls, because I was under my parents' insurance and they were with a particular hospital that they were supposed to go to in the big city, he was on the phone with the hospital and the hospital was saying, no, 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 we need you to send him right now by ambulance to us so we can perform surgery. And he says... He will not survive the ambulance ride to get this surgery. It was that close. And by ambulance, it would have been probably less than an hour to get there. And he it took me into surgery in a little tiny town in a little clinic. It wasn't set up for surgery and saved my life. The next day, they did take me by ambulance to where this is paid for, uh, as opposed to this doctor just taking it upon himself to make this happen and uh, wished that the story was uh, all smooth sailing from there, but it wasn't. Um, my systems weren't coming back, and so I was in the hospital a lengthy time, 
And finally, after about day nine or so with my symptoms, uh, not my symptoms, but my systems not coming back, they finally turned a corner. They were able to pull the NG tube out. Here's a picture of us, me and my fiance, uh, in the hospital. She's the pretty one. I'm the ugly one there. Uh, the, it was uh, just an awful time. The story wasn't over yet. We had made all kinds of plans. You see, I had graduated. She hadn't graduated yet, so I was going to uh, do some things closer to Westmont where we both graduated from eventually, and yet those plans were kind of thrown up for grabs because uh, my um, parents' insurance, which I still needed aftercare, was for a dependent student. Way back then, the laws were different. Don't you hate it when doctors say, you're getting old? Uh, Way back then, the laws were different about being a dependent. I was just graduated, so I didn't officially qualify as being a dependent because I was no longer a student, but we made some adjustments due to insurance stuff and, and et cetera, et cetera. I was fortunate to have a dad who was a professor at San Jose Baba College, right where the home was, and so I enrolled for another degree at San Jose Baba College, and in one year's time, one school year's time, Uh, Everything went well. I got my second degree. Gina graduated. We got married. Uh, We had our honeymoon. We were interrupted in our honeymoon to interview for a church ministry job and entered into the church ministry, which was the degree I got, church ministry. So all that to say, here's why I tell you the story. We're ready for point number one. Long before you face a problem, God already has a plan. Long before you face a problem, God already has a plan. Now, if I told you I was really okay and trusted God and at the hospital I was fine, I knew it was going to be okay and that God had a plan and that's where I focused, no, I was not there. I was extremely down. I was extremely depressed. Here I am uh, marrying a physical education major wife who we're all excited about the recreational things that we had planned and now I felt like an invalid that was barely able to walk and where is this all going and I was just low, low, low in a depressive state during those days. I wished I would have focused on this long before you face a problem, God already has a plan. Because what I thought was a tragedy was a change of trajectory. What I thought was a tragedy was a change of trajectory that I wouldn't have made without God's plan that he oversaw through this process. I wasn't planning on going to the school where my dad was professor. That's rather interesting, taking courses from your dad. And that's rather interesting also. Small school, everybody knows I'm the professor's kid, etc., etc. That wasn't my plan. So those adjusted plans were part of God's plan, however, and I'm still in church ministry today because of the change of trajectory in 1982. That's interesting to me. Maybe it's interesting to you. The reason I tell you all of this is it's true for you as well. 
long before, let's put a blank there, such and such happened, or it could be a blank about the past, it could be a blank about your future. Long before blank, what? Long before the diagnosis. Long before the loss of job. Long before that horrible breakup. Long before it seemed like my life had come to an end. Long before all of those kinds of things, God already had a plan. Now, if we knew that, what a difference it would make during these tragedies. And so this is to help you remember that in those moments. And maybe today already is one of those moments for some of us here today. I don't know. Knowing God has a plan makes a huge difference. We're going to begin with Psalm 18.2, which reads this way about God's protection. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. Now let's just affirm this. I want you to hear me affirm it. Yes, the Lord is our protection. Find it on the screen there. Yes, the Lord is our shield. Yes, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my savior. Yes, the Lord is the power that saves me. Yes, the Lord not only leads me to safety, he is my safety. Amen? Now, although all of that is true, It's all true. Point number two, God does not always protect us the way we expect. My story that I shared with you is just one example. How many of you have had that, where God protected you in a way that's not the way you expected, okay? So this just affirms our experience, but I don't want you to assume that everything I'm saying here is based on experience, I want us to see from scripture itself that it doesn't happen the way we expect frequently. And so I'm gonna jump into a really great story. I mean, make a great movie. Can't say I've seen one, but a great movie, Acts chapter 16, is where we're gonna be. We're gonna be looking at some events there that took place with Paul and with Silas. We start at verse 16. Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. Now, in the background, just process this. This is human trafficking. This is actual exploitation of a female slave doing things that she didn't really want to do, but they're exploiting her, and she has this ability to do this by a dark power, okay? Fortune-telling is never from a good source. It's a dark power, but there's money in it, okay? And we read this. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Now, I just read it with my voice. I want you to imagine a shrill, shrieky, unearthly voice that wasn't her own, (laughs) uh, that kept this up and 
verse 18, the first part of verse 18, she kept this up for many days. Now, during those many days, I want us to imagine a conversation. I can imagine this conversation, so I'm just gonna kind of imagine it, and you go with me for now. It may or may not have happened, but I could imagine Silas being confused. Okay, Paul, so she's saying this. How does she know we're servants of the Most High God? And how does she know? We haven't even started yet. She keeps hounding us and following us and saying this to all the crowds every time we go, and she's disrupting things, and you say it's a demon. What motivation does a demon have to say the truth about us? I don't get it. The truth about us being the servants of God and that we literally know the way to salvation, that that's what we came to proclaim. What is going on here? Why would the powers of darkness be doing this? And how is it that, that this just keeps going on like this? It's making it so that we can't even do our business well. And I can imagine... Paul then saying something like, make no mistake, Silas, this is not good. Because a demon's main objective is always to bind people in their sin and to blind them in order to bring them to that binding. So a demon's main objective is subterfuge. They'll use truth to the degree that it works and then take that truth off this way or that way. But it is a blinding effort to bind a person to a sin. That's been from the beginning. Now, as we talk about demons, just in case you missed episode one, I'm not supposed to use the word episode, uh, part one, okay? I tell myself, don't use the word episode. Um, that was an episode, part one, about um, how we can experience supernatural deliverance from whatever hooks that we allowed powers of darkness to, to place into our lives and the worldview reality which is behind all of that. So when I start talking about demons, etc., some people just tune out like, wow, we came to a weird church. And I say, no, you came to the church that believes what Jesus believes. The church has the worldview that Jesus has. And I, I think that Jesus is worth believing because he could raise from the dead. And he could predict it in advance. And there's so much more to that, but episode one, I point you to that. Now, in that conversation, I wonder if Paul would have said something like, and Silas, this happened to Jesus all the time. How do you know? You met him like after all of that. I heard preaching about it all the time. You did too. Don't you remember when Peter said? Now, we're going to turn to Mark right now because most of Mark's teaching about Jesus comes from Peter's preaching. So here's what Mark writes down in chapter 1, 23 through 26. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Everybody goes home from church and says, guess what happened at church today, right? And uh, 
This, this is just an amazing situation here. And perhaps there's a conversation like that and just thinking about what Jesus did, that this is what we read next. Perhaps not. Maybe Paul is just annoyed enough that he decides he's gonna throw caution to the wind and proceed. Here's what we read now, back to the story of Acts. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. So it's very reminiscent of what took place when Jesus would suddenly be confronted by demons uh, on a repeated basis. So the spirit of Jesus is in Paul and Silas. The spirit of darkness is jockeying for position and defensive and then trying to get people derailed away from what he's there for and Paul would have none of it. But, verse 19, even with a small victory there, the battle's not over. It's going to get way worse. When her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Verse 20 and 21. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. It's fascinating, it's very typical. The arguments they present have nothing to do with the real thing that's got them mad. They're just really mad that now they don't have money coming in, that Paul just, you know, took their little evil human trafficking business and busted it up through his power, and they're mad at him for doing it because now this fortune-telling gig they had going isn't going to work. It doesn't tell us anybody, anything about the, the, the girl. I'm, I'm surely hoping as I finish reading the chapter that she ends up in the Philippian church which has started. That'd be, that'd be cool. We don't know. Anyway, um, the battle isn't over. Verse 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, They were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. I want you to picture the scene. Their poor bloody backs, a mass of cuts and welts and bruises having been beaten with rods. Now, The temptation for people of our day, if something like this would happen, is to ask, where were you, God? I read here that you are my shield, my rock, my protection. You give me supernatural protection. Where is your protection now, God? What is taking place here? I don't get it. We were doing your work, your good work. Why don't you intervene? How come you didn't intervene on this situation, God? I've asked it. That was my question in the hospital. Why are you letting this happen? Why didn't you intervene? What is going on, God? Now, I was not chained up, but I had tubes coming out of 
places I didn't want tubes coming out of. And, and I was struggling as I'm trapped there and can't get on with my life. And I'm asking those questions. But I find it fascinating that that's not where Paul and Silas went. They didn't have that reaction at all. Makes me wonder if they just, well, had they memorized, blessed are you who are persecuted when people insult you and say all kinds of false things about you because of me? I mean, do they have this committed to memory so and they just start talking about it? We're blessed, we're blessed. I mean, look at what Jesus went through. Silas, our backs hurt, sure. So did Jesus' back, think of his. We're, we're in pain, sure. But think of the pain that Jesus went through for us. And maybe this just encouraged them. All we know as to how they responded is they didn't respond the way we do. Here's what we read. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Now, if I was the other prisoner, I'd be wondering... Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. You know, maybe saying things and snide and this and that at first. But after a while, the words of the song start coming through and you're listening. You're not talking anymore. What do these guys have? What's going on here? So I just have a couple of questions just about that. Question number one. When is it that our need to pray and worship is our greatest need? When is it that our need to pray and worship is our greatest need? We're in the greatest need of prayer and worship when we don't feel like praying and worshiping. Second question. How can we pray and worship when we don't feel like praying and worshiping? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 15, we read this. In Hebrews 13, 15, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. How can we pray and worship when we don't feel like it? Through Jesus. The same power that's dwelling within their bodies because Jesus died for them on the cross and rose from the dead and they united with him in his death and his resurrection, the same power that alerted the demonic powers that there's, there's God's people here they're jockeying for power. That same Jesus is operating through them to be able to continually offer up a sacrifice of praise even when the dark powers are against them. They know that they're in the hands of God and they worship him. Through Jesus, we can worship God our Father for who he is even before we know what he will do. Because he is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. Months ago, we went through the series on Daniel. And they were willing to stand in the fiery furnace. They didn't matter whether they would be burned up or whether God would save them. They would still 
stand with no compromise. They weren't going to bow to the idol. They were going to worship God for who he is. If he does not save us, that's cool with us. We trust him. If he saves us, fantastic. This story goes on a similar track. The very next verse we read, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Don't you love the word suddenly? (laughs) I love the word suddenly. And it's important to remember that God is a God that can make things happen suddenly. In your darkest moments when it seems like nothing is going well and nothing can go well and you can't even imagine it going well because you can't picture the answer to come, remember that God sees what you cannot see. When you are in the dark, he sees his suddenly and when it is coming. We don't know whether it's today or tomorrow or at the end of our life, but suddenly Jesus Christ is going to return and come for us. Suddenly, he's gonna prove that all of these battles are nothing. Suddenly, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is in control of everything. He's the God of suddenly. And it may not be then. It may be next week with the answer to your job problem. It could be a miracle, the answer to your diagnosis. It could be that the guy that you thought was the best guy possible was the worst guy possible and you met suddenly Mr. Right. Right? But we get stuck in our dark places and we can't imagine an answer suddenly. Let's focus on the God who is worthy of our worship before the miracle. We keep waiting for the miracle to give us permission to praise him. No, we worship him continually. We praise him continually and sometimes it's a sacrifice of praise when we don't feel like it. Please, please, please never get in the mode of I'm going to go to church when I feel like it. Please, please, please don't get in the mode where I'm only going to read the Bible when I feel like it. Please, please, please don't get in the mode where you're only going to pray when you feel like it. You need God most when you don't feel like praising, reading, praying. Besides, I love it when the fingerprints of God are all over his supernatural deliverance. Oh, it doesn't matter what miracle comes. There's gonna be people who argue with it. When Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, they argued with it. Oh, he's doing this by the power of the evil one. We gotta kill him. You know, there's everything subject to interpretation. But when your faith sees the fingerprints of God on an event, it is so encouraging. Just Check out this event. Think about this. The roof didn't cave in. The foundation shook. The walls didn't cave in. The only thing that happened is the chains came undone and 
pulled out of the walls and the doors were opened up. Hello, fingerprint of God. Perfect answer, perfect timing with the earthquake. Oh, it's coincidence. Subject to interpretation? No, I see the fingerprint of God all over it, particularly when we see what happens next. Verse 27, the jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. He'd rather save face than face Roman execution for messing up on his job with prisoners being released. He'd rather commit suicide than face the consequences of humiliation and execution. So he's about to run himself through But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do? What must I do to be saved? This is a great movie. It's a better book. Read it the rest of the story. Because when you read the rest of the story, you see why God didn't protect Paul and Silas from all those injuries and then chooses this moment to protect them and save them and do some other things that I won't tell you about to just some of you to read it because it's a great book. Acts chapter 16. We could stop here, but there's one more really important point. Point number three. Sometimes God's eternal purposes don't align with our temporary plans. Sometimes God's eternal purposes don't align with our temporary plans. So even in Acts 16, we see God protecting Paul and Silas in a way we don't expect. And we praise God for that. It's wonderful and amazing. But you need to understand something. Paul will again go to prison. And again. And again. And again. And eventually, on the last imprisonment, he will be executed. So, How does that fit into your idea of God's supernatural protection? For me, he's protected. He was protected by God in every instance, exactly the way God wanted to protect him, and ultimately protected as he's ushered into eternity. Had he not been in those prison cells all those various times, we'd be missing so many letters of the New Testament. So many countless millions would probably not be in the kingdom through the blood that's spilt like seed. There's a harvest. And Paul was willing to carry the cross and count it joy to bear in his flesh the suffering for the sake of the church. 
And he's willing to keep pushing, keep pushing, pressing the borders out, the borders out, and capturing more people out of the kingdom of darkness and ushering them into the kingdom of heaven, knowing that the battle is right on the edges there. And he was going to keep doing it, keep doing it. And he was feeling the blessing of Jesus. Not abandonment. Even in the last book, while he was, knew that this was it, he knew. He was praising God for helping him stand courageously to fight the good fight, to win the race, to enter into glory, to finish well. Sometimes God's eternal purposes don't align with our temporary plans. Would you say that with me? Sometimes God's eternal purposes don't align with our temporary plans. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? We align with God's eternal purposes. We praise him ahead of time as a sacrifice of praise. We praise him continually in the good times and the hard times. We follow Jesus. We take up our cross. We deny ourselves. We follow Jesus when it hurts, when it doesn't hurt, when we laugh, when we cry. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it's just joy. But we follow Jesus in alignment with his eternal purposes. Why? Because Jesus hurt. Jesus grieved. Jesus trusted. Jesus obeyed according to God's eternal purpose. And why did he do that? So that we could have eternal life. And because Jesus gave his life for me, I want to live for him. Thank you for coming today. I hope you've been encouraged. I want to thank those of you who decided to risk coming on if this is your first day and you're a guest or if you're real new. If you haven't done this yet, I'm going to encourage you to grab the Connect card in the chair in front of you. It takes a few seconds to fill out. We'd love to give you a welcome bag, which includes goodies and gifts, but it also includes some information that we hope you'll look at because we want you to take steps following Jesus. We're all here so that we can help people from wherever they are take steps to where God wants them to be, and God wants us to be more and more like Jesus. It's that clear, that plain. Everybody else, and everybody, if you're a guest also, you may be going through stuff right now, and you need God's supernatural protection, whatever that looks like. We're going to ask the prayer team to get up to go to their prayer area and they'd be willing to pray for you. There's also a prayer card if you are little, want to just have the staff pray for you, write down your request, put it on that card, put it in the box on your way out. We pray for you on Monday mornings or Monday afternoons. So thank you for being here. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to be our Savior. Lord Jesus, thank you for your willingness to suffer for us. Lord Jesus, suddenly you were raised. You changed everything for us. We need you. We worship you. We thank you. Please help us. You are worthy of our praise. Through you, we continually offer up our sacrifice of praise and we worship in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. See you next week.